0: this morning. As you may have heard, Pastor Matt is on vacation, so when the cat is out, the mice will play, or however that, when the cat is away. That's right. I'm the king of destroying good quotes. So the mice are playing right now, Otto and I will make all the major decisions in the church and all that good stuff. So we're going through this series right now, and uh, Pastor Matt's done a great job of just uh, coming out and giving uh, just sermon after sermon on repossessed, godly wisdom for establishing a joyful home. And Pastor Matt asked me to take the next two Sundays, so if you don't like the sermon today, don't come back next Sunday, because I'm preaching again. Kidding, kidding. Church can be fun, right? So this week, the title of my sermon is called Not in My House. Not in my house. If you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Joshua chapter 24. This is kind of the baseline scripture of what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there's a, uh, there's a basketball player in the NBA, and his name was Dikembe Matumbo. You guys remember Dikembe Mutombo, for you NBA enthusiasts. And uh, it got brought up a couple weeks ago. Someone from the Raptors uh, blocked a shot, and he did the Dikembe Mutombo sign. And this means, not in my house. So, Dikembe Mutombo was in the NBA. He, used to, he was known for his defensive uh, technique. He used to block a lot of shots. He got a lot of triple-doubles um, just on blocking shots. And so... He would come out, and every time someone would try to get in the paint, he would more than likely block their shot. And then on the way down, he'd look at him, and he'd shake his finger at him, and he'd say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, not in my house. And so the whole paint area was his house. He did not want anyone getting in the lane and scoring. He would stop them. He would try anything possible. And that's what he was known for was uh-uh-uh, not in my house. You may have seen a commercial Uh, uh that's been going on once in a while. It, it comes up, and it's Dikembe Mutombo. Now that he's retired and people are trying to shoot a piece of paper in the garbage can, and he rolls by and slaps it away. Uh-uh-uh, not in my house. Someone else trying to throw something in the garbage, and he'd slap it away. Uh-uh-uh, not in my house. So that's what we're talking about today is how to keep the enemy from destroying our homes. How many of you guys know that the enemy it says in the Bible, comes out to seek, kill, and destroy? Steal, kill, and destroy our homes. That is what the enemy is out to do. Whether that's through your children, whether that is through your parents, whether that is anything and everything necessary to come in, steal, kill, and destroy. And that includes our homes. And today I'm going to talk about three ways the enemy tries to do that. He tries to infiltrate our houses. He tries to break in however means necessary to do that. Because if he can stop or if he can try and stop even one person in the household, he knows that things will start to crumble. And today we're going to go through the great theological movie of Home Alone. Isn't that not one of the greatest theological movies of all time? How many of you guys remember Marvin Harry? So today I have a couple visuals, and this is going to be Marvin Harry. This is actually Harry from uh, One Direction, I think, before he, I guess he left, I'm not sure. And then this is just me with a creepy face. Can we have some fun in church this morning? Is that okay? Great. And the calves? The cat's away, that's right. And the calves won also. But I want you to keep a visual of these, this horrifying picture, and then he's not so bad. And I want you to keep a visual because this is going to represent Marvin Harry. If you don't know what Home Alone is, it's this child that always gets home alone. They made 37 movies, but only the first two were good. Actually, there were like six, but Macaulay Culkin gets left home alone in the first one. And then the second one, he misses his flight. And you know when you're a kid and you're watching it, you're like, oh man, this is just so, wow, he gets left and he's, he'll be all right. He, they left him at home, and then the second one, he misses his flight. And as a kid, you don't really see like all that goes into that. How everything has to be directly, I mean literally, This crazy stuff has to happen for him to get left at home or for him to get sent to New York. That's the second one. And then as an adult, you watch it, and you're like, are you serious? This can't happen. Are you serious? Why would the flight attendant not check? Why isn't this happening? And as an adult, I think sometimes the movie's not as fun because then you start to think rationally, right? So you're like, there's no way. He runs into the lady, drops his, my ticket's in here somewhere oh, okay, that's all right, go find your parents. Oh, okay, you see your dad from a distance, have fun on your trip. It it just doesn't all make sense. Anyway, so we're going to go through today and talk about how the devil infiltrates our home, how the enemy can come in and what he uses and what is necessary for him to get in. Everybody in Joshua chapter 24. This is kind of our baseline. Let's read it together. If you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve and do it today. Choose one of the gods your ancestors worshipped from the country beyond the river, or one of the gods of the Amorites on whose land you're now living. As for me and my family, we will worship God. As for me and my family, we will worship God. We want that to be our baseline today. And I'll bring that verse up later on. So three ways we can keep the enemy from entering our home. I'm going to equip you. So as you see these things come in, you'll know what to do. You'll know how to be ready. Because how many of you guys know that God equips us to fight the enemy? We know how the story ends, right? We know how it ends. If you're taking notes, you can jot down these three ideas. Number one, the enemy comes in through envy and comparing. There's a couple places that uh, Marvin Harry try to get in through the house, right? And one of them's through the window. And sometimes in our life, we use the the window of envy and comparing you guys have heard it plenty of time the worst thing is social media because social media puts such a such a filter over people's lives doesn't it it's pretty much a highlight reel nice cute picture oh by the way i'm, I'm a little nervous because it's my first time preaching in front of my new daughter she's about a month old and so I told her, I said, if daddy's boring this morning, you just start crying or poop your diaper or something like that, and then you can get out of here, and, and I won't, uh, don't worry, I won't say anything about it. But anyway, so speaking of babies in Instagram, so you put a, a picture of a nice cute baby on, oh, the baby's sleeping so peacefully. People put a picture on it, it makes you want a baby, doesn't it? Oh, I want a baby so bad, they're so cute, they're so cuddly. No one puts on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or anything social media like at 3 a.m. when the baby's screaming. You wouldn't have any followers. No one would want to see that, would they? Hey, just taking a selfie with me and my baby screaming at 3 a.m. Say cheese. Nobody puts anything like that on there, right? What do we put? The good moment when the baby's finally sleeping for more than 10 minutes. Oh, hashtag such a good baby. You don't know that the baby's good. You just know they're good right there. Or how about when parents post something about their kids. Oh, made the A on a roll for the eighth year in a row. So proud of this child. And they're sitting here scrolling through going, man, well, my kid ate six dinner rolls last night. Does that count? I mean, it's sort of comparing, right? And we have this idea, parents, that our kids have to be equal or better or the same as someone else's kids, don't we? And guess what? I'll give you a little secret. Your kids know that. Your kids know that you're when you say something, maybe if it's subtle or you're saying, Hey, I wish you could be like Billy over here. Hey, did you see what Billy did? He went to serve at a soup kitchen the other day. What did you do? Oh, you slept in. Oh, well. Maybe you should be a little more like Billy. Or students, kids, you try and compare parents. Your mom is so cool. She, you've been staying here for like a week. She hasn't even called to check up on you. She is so cool. Why can't my mom be like that? Or we try to compare our, our parents or we try to compare our families. We, we envy, we see someone just got a new house and we're like, oh, I wish we had a house like that. Oh, I wish we had got a picture of a new car. Oh, I wish I had a car like that. Oh, my child just got an all-star invitation because they're so good at sports. Why can't my child be like that? And we have this envy and this comparing, and we don't realize that social media is just one big highlight reel. You see a church that has 2,000, 3,000 members, a church plant that has just grown exponentially. You don't see... You don't see the first Sunday ever where there's six people and five of them are family members. And you say, hey, take a picture of this first church service looking awesome. And there's six people in a circle and on chairs. You don't see that. Or you don't see a business that has come to to just grow. And and it is doing awesome and just making lots of money and helping people and, and doing all this. You don't see the guy that started that business at, I don't know, I'll use 3 a.m. because apparently everyone's up at 3 a.m. At 3 a.m., sweating and, and falling asleep and, and, and trying to make this company work when he thinks it's going to fail, we don't see that. Because we have this deception that as soon as we look at a picture or something that somebody posts or something somebody does or they say, we want to be like that. Proverbs 15, 15 says, and this is actually really simple. A miserable heart means a miserable life. Sometimes I love the message. It's just like, it just punches you right in the face. A miserable heart means a miserable life, but a cheerful heart fills the day with song. A miserable heart means a miserable life. Most of you that are married, husbands, you you know it as a happy wife is a happy life, right? It's so simple. A miserable heart means a miserable life. If you're constantly comparing, if you're constantly wanting what other people have, it starts to make its way in. It tries to get in through the window. It sees the windows half open. You're going, oh, look at what's out there. Look at what's. Their life looks so happy. They just got another praise report that somebody gave them $100 in the mail as I'm sending $100 to my electric bill that hasn't been paid in three months. Like, how come they get that and I got to do this? How come they can go on that nice vacation and my vacation consists of sitting at home, sleeping so I can rest? Why is their life so much better? Why does God bless them? To go along with that, I have Matthew 6, 30 through 33. It says, if God gives such attention attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he will attend to you? Take pride in you. Do his best for you. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. I told you, it punches you in the face, doesn't it? People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life, in. here we go. God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be concerned about getting. There's a quote I heard a couple weeks ago from a pastor. He says, envy causes you to resent God's goodness in other people's lives and ignore God's goodness in your own life. Let me say that again. Envy causes you to resent God's goodness in other people's lives and ignore God's goodness in your own life. So when you're envying and you're and you're comparing and you're wishing that God has blessed you the way God has blessed someone else. It puts anger in your heart and it says, wow. God didn't bless them. I don't know what they're talking about. They're so selfish posting everything like that and showing everyone and speaking like that to everyone. And it makes us also realize what we have, what we don't have, what we need to have. See, I don't think we have it right. I don't think we realize it's, It's what you have. It's what you do with what you have. It doesn't matter with how much you have of this or how much you have of that or what you're doing here or what you're doing there, but what God is giving you and what you're doing with that. What are you doing with the kids that God has given you that can eat six dinner rolls but can't make the honor roll? What are you doing with that child? God gave you that child. He didn't give that child to someone else. Obviously, he has a plan for you and your child when he's giving you that specific child. Maybe it's to learn patience. I don't know. Why did God give that honor roll student to that specific parent? Why can't my child be more like that? Why can't I have this? Why can't I have that? And the enemy can make his way into our household and start to to destroy One at a time, starting with your kids or starting with your parents or starting with someone else in the family, your brother or your sister. You ever thought what it'd be like to be Jesus's brother? Hey, what'd you do today? Well, I skipped a rock five times. What'd you do? Oh, I fed 5,000 people. And that was just men. You don't even know how many kids and women and children there were. Well, gee, I guess I'll go to my room hey, there's Jesus again, perfect, never does anything wrong. Think about that. Your brothers and your sisters, your families, the enemy will make his way in through envy. If you remember one of the, uh, one of the burglars, so they were going to go into the house, and uh, one of them saw the window open. And so he sneaks in. He's like, oh, I think I'm going to do that because they tried the door, and Kevin shot him up with some uh, BBs. And so he tries to go in through the door, and when he goes in, he's already, you know, barefoot and stuff, and he steps on a bunch of ornaments, and they just start cutting up his foot, and he's like, oh, oh, I got to walk through. They're pretty sharp. They hurt, right? Do you guys know we have something that's also sharp? That can destroy the enemy. We have the word of God, don't we? Sharper than any two-edged sword. So anytime the enemy wants to come in through the window that he sees open, you say, hey, you know what? Try and come in through the window and see what I do to you. Right? God has equipped us to fend off the enemy, But this is probably the most underappreciated thing that Christians have. The word of God. Oh, I've been praying about this situation. I don't know what's going on with my life. I don't know how this is going to happen. Well, have you read your Bible lately? Because God is speaking to you. He's given you this road map. You guys remember maps? back in the day before smartphones? Some of you, we could hand you a map and you wouldn't know what to do with it. This is a roadmap to life. This is a weapon to fend off the enemy. So don't let the enemy sneak in through the window without giving him something sharp to send back out, right? Right? That's number one, envy and comparison. Number two, Marv tried to come in the back door. If you remember, he was slipping and sliding, fell down the stairs a couple times, tried to crack it open with a crowbar, all to realize it was unlocked. He just had to open it because Kevin had something waiting for him, right? Number two, the enemy tries to get in. When Jesus becomes a chore in our life. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. should be up on the screen. There we go. Here's how we can be sure that we know God in the right way. Keep his commandments. You realize it doesn't say this is how you know you can be saved. It says how you can know God in the right way. Because then that would be works-based. Keep his commandments. If someone claims I know him well but doesn't keep his commandments, he's obviously a liar. His life doesn't match his words. But the one who keeps God's word is the person in whom we see God's mature love. This is the only way to be sure we are in God. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life Jesus did. There's an interesting thing with chores. Uh. How many of you guys remember kind of a list of chores or things you had to have done in order to do something else? Hey, Mom, I got a party at the beach. Well, here's your list. And if she didn't want you to go, the list would travel down the floor. Okay, if you get these done, you can go. I'll be in my room. Interesting thing about chores. So when I was younger... Uh, and my mom started letting me vacuum, it was the coolest thing ever because how many of you remember, like, your first time vacuuming? So I would always think if I got to the cord, I'd get electrocuted, so I'd have to, like, jump the, the cord so that it wouldn't shock me. I'd be like, oh, here we go. I don't want I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And I'd have to jump the vacuum over. But there was something about vacuuming that really— same thing with cutting the grass, where you see, like, the short part, and then you see the long part, and you see it's just like, wow, that looks nice. I know, I'm really weird. But vacuuming's the same thing when you get those vacuum rows going. You know what I'm talking about? Doesn't that just look super nice? Your carpet was all, like, weird and displaced, but then after you're done vacuuming, you got rows in your carpet. That's the way to show company you cleaned for them, Right? If you got the vacuum, Rose, I mean, you're set. And that was my favorite thing to do. My mom didn't even have to ask me to do that. She'd be like, oh, you vacuumed seven times today. Good job. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. So she'd give me, you know, some chores and things to do, and I would never have to be asked to vacuum because I loved doing it. Now, on the other hand, when she put dust on the list, I need you to dust the house. Okay, so pledge smells really good, okay? The lemon scent. I don't have a problem with that, but the problem was after I got done, my mom would walk around and find places there were dust. Oh, look, behind the crevice here under the glass, you missed a spot. Are you serious? You know how shiny that table looks right now? I pledged that thing. I mean, we need another bottle. I covered that thing up. I hated dusting because my mom would always find the nicks and the crannies of dust. But you see the difference here? I didn't think vacuuming was a chore because I loved to do it. I enjoyed doing it. It almost came naturally to me. I experienced joy when I did that chore. On the other hand, when my mom gave me dusting, I thought there was nothing worse in life than dusting the house. Isn't that, isn't that how we treat Christianity a lot of times? How we treat trying to walk and follow Jesus? See, John was saying in First John here, Hey, guess what? I saw Jesus. I walked with Jesus. One of my friends, I saw how he lived. See, we treat Jesus as a chore. It becomes a chore that we don't enjoy. We don't want any part of. We consider that the dusting. We tell Alexis sometimes on Saturday nights to get her to go to sleep. That if she goes to sleep, she can come to church in the morning. And now I realize why Jesus so often talked about childlike faith. It's so easy to wake her up on Sunday mornings. Because she's excited about church. Now I don't know if she'd be excited if Natalie and Sienna weren't here. Because that's all she talks about, you know, at church. Natalie, Sienna, and Miss Spring. And all her other friends. But it's just. Why can't we carry that over? She's almost three years old, and she gets excited about church. She wants to go to sleep so she can wake up and go to church. The joy of fellowshipping with believers. She doesn't know what fellowshipping with believers is, but the point here is, why can't we carry that over to now? Why is it a struggle to wake up in the morning and go and worship the God Who helped you pay your bills this month? Why is it so hard to to stay awake in church, but it wasn't hard to stay awake the night before playing games or watching a movie or anything like that? The God that healed you, the God that helped you. You see the difference here when we make Jesus a chore? We let the enemy in saying, oh, here we go. Get up. It's time for church. Ah, Do I have to? Does that sound familiar? But parents, if we raise our children in a way where it says, hey, think about all that Jesus has done for you. It says here in 1 John, if you want to know Jesus on that level, the level that John knew him. The level that John saw, how awesome Jesus was, where he would feed people and heal people and walk with people and and disciple these 12. See, we don't obey his commandments because we have to. We obey his commandments because of what he did for us. Think about it that way. If you're you're going to do something, if your life has been radically changed and you became a believer, great, now I have this whole list of chores I have to do. You see that? Is that making sense? When we make Jesus a chore, there's no joy in that. But when we go around and we say, I want to do this, I want to walk as close to Jesus as possible because of what he did for me. I loved dusting when my mom brought home a present for me. Right? Hey, CJ, here's your new pair of rollerblades. Give me the pledge. I'm going to dust. Because of what my mom got me. Think about it that way. If we make Jesus a a chore... Instead of a joy, we're going to grow up making Jesus a chore. We're going to get into college or or jobs or whatever we go into and make Jesus a chore. We're going to grow up and raise our kids making Jesus a chore. But when we turn around and we say Jesus is not a chore in our life, we do what we do because of what Jesus did for us. And we want to spend the rest of our life thanking him for it by doing that. Can't church be enjoyed? There's a quote that always goes around. Church doesn't have to be endured. Church has to be enjoyed. Think of the difference between enduring something and enjoying something. You enjoy when the Cavs win. You enjoy when something great happens in your life, but yet we endure church. We We have to go through church. We have to go through helping people, living the Christian life. That's what John is saying here. And if we can get to the point where we say, Jesus is not a chore in my life, that will change our homes. When your kids are up before you are because they can't wait not to go to church to see a girl or to see a boy. But to sing worship songs and to to sing about how God has changed our life and he sent his son. And to walk as close as Jesus walked. That is what John's talking about here. Here's my third and final point for today. The third way the enemy tries to get in is he tries and destroys the legacy of our Christian home. See, if the enemy can stop our home, then he thinks he can stop the next home after that and the next home after that. When you get married or you have kids and, and, and your kids have kids. At that point, I think you're old. Grandkids and, and grandkids after grandkids. And then this, this generation just keeps going. And if, and if the enemy can get into that generation, he thinks he can get into the next generation and the next generation. So you are a great grandparent and you are seeing how you raised your kids and your kids' kids are the same way. The enemy tries to, to destroy legacies left in homes. Parents, how are your children viewing you? There's a story where uh, this girl went to school, and uh, the teacher that day she said, "All right, here's what I want you to do." It was a sister and a brother. and they went to school and they said, "All right, I want you to draw your dad. Draw a picture of your dad." So, the girl, the sister, she colored in a picture, and then the brother did the same thing. both got home, gave it to their mom, and their mom said, "Wow, you must be uh you must be a pretty lucky guy." He's like, "Why do you say that?" She pulled out both pictures, and both pictures had their dad smiling, enjoying himself, and that's how the children are remembering. Their father. How do your kids view you? How do your kids see you? Do they see you as the angry person that just tells them, no, 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 don't do this, don't do that, I'm just your boss. I don't have a relationship with you, I just tell you what to do. How are your kids viewing you? I just want to go back to Joshua 24, 15. And this was a time where Joshua is telling everyone, have you seen all that God has done? Have you seen all that has been accomplished? This wasn't you. You didn't defeat the Amorites. You didn't defeat these people. You didn't have the walls fall down. This was God's doing. And so you have to choose today Who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we will worship God. How is that going to play out in your life? What kind of legacy is that going to leave? And let me tell you something. Just because you grew up in a broken home does not mean you have to live in the past. Just because you grew up in a home that maybe didn't have a mother and a father or or somebody left or it wasn't Christian based and you have decided in your heart, as for me in my house, my new house, my legacy now. We're going to serve the Lord. You can change that. There doesn't have to be mistake after mistake after mistake. This person did this. This person did this. Learn from your past and you have to decide. This could be anyone, this could be a single person, and you're living in your house, you say, you know what, I'm going to decide to serve the Lord. And if you want to get married, pray for your future spouse. Pray that they will also have the same passion that you do in wanting to serve the Lord. Pray that your kids have that same passion, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord where when they get married and they have kids, they'll want the same thing that you brought up. Just because you came from a house that didn't make God a priority doesn't mean you have to stay that way. Doesn't mean you have to raise your family that way. That's what the enemy wants. He wants us to say, oh, look at your last, your past life. What did your parents do? What did your family do? That house you grew up in wasn't christian based what makes you think you're going to be christian based now we'll make that decision because joshua is saying here me and my house we are going to serve the lord as tim comes up this morning to begin playing i'd ask if the elders would come up also And I just want you guys to know that God has you in your household for a reason. Students, God has you there for a reason. He has you under your parents' supervision for a reason. Don't compare what what other kids' parents have or anything like that. Parents, God has put you in charge of those kids for a reason. It wasn't a mistake. God didn't just say, oh, I'll give Jimmy to you over here and and this person over here. God has you exactly where he wants you. He has you in the exact house he wants you in. You have struggles right now in your house? God has you there for a reason. You have struggles with your kids right now? God has you there for a reason. So I want to ask you guys before we close tonight, if everyone would just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'll we'll ask you guys a couple questions as we go through the list. First off, maybe some of you today are saying, you know what, I've done a lot of comparing and envy recently. And, and my kids know it. I know it. My spouse knows it. My household knows it. And I just want to make a decision to be more satisfied in what Jesus has given me. Not how much I have, but what I'm doing with what I have. What I'm doing with what God has entrusted me with. Maybe you need to make a decision to change that today. Secondly, maybe Jesus is a chore in your household. And you need to say today, you know what? I don't want Jesus to be a chore. I want it to be a joy. I want it to be a joy. And third, maybe some of you today have never made that decision to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you want to continue that legacy of Christian living in your household. Or maybe today you want to start That Christian legacy where you say, you know what? I've come from broken homes, but thank God I can make that decision today. And I can say, as for me and my house, starting today, we're going to serve the Lord. Maybe you need to make that decision today. The legacy starts today. So I just encourage you, as the rest of the band comes up, And as we begin singing, that you would just ask yourselves these questions. And maybe you just need to come up front. Maybe you need to talk to an elder. Maybe you just need to change the ways of your thinking, change your habits. But don't let the enemy come into your house. Don't let the enemy think he has a way in.